For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. You are now listening to This Week Explained. Hello, and welcome to This Week Explained. I'm Tiana, with Carvet as my co-host, and together we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. Let's get to what's on the radar this week, Kervin. All right, we'll do Russia, Ukraine, and Israel, Hamas, as always, uh, but we are going to get into the continued U.S. strikes in the Middle East. After that, we'll talk about, uh, stay in the Middle East, talk about Saudi Arabia, who has backtracked on their desire to be a part of BRICS Plus. That's a pretty important development there. Whoa! Yeah, I saw your face light up there. That's yeah, sorry. pretty big. I forgot I muted the microphone. And <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, ah, ah, inter, you know, interjecting. And <laughs> once again, like I said, forgot I muted the microphone. So anyway, sorry, 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 sorry. I guess I could save that reaction. No, that's, time. that's great. Um, yeah, so we'll talk about that. And then uh, with that discussion, uh, what we found out this week is that China has offered its full support to the Russian Federation. Um, we'll, we'll get into that, how that is is a new development and is not a new development and the implications beyond that. Um, also, staying within that same region there, there's a new poll that came out in India that the youth of India is polling pro-American at this moment. Well, That's something you think you hear, right? Yeah. America, we you... T- we could use a W. <laughs> yeah, America you know? could use quite the We could use a W. w. Well, uh, America's youth is not. polling less pro-American. So. Oh, well, yeah. 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 <laughs> we had that discussion offline. Yes. And then uh, we're, we'll finish up, we'll wrap up this episode with uh, with an interesting uh, legal matter as an ex-CIA engineer was sent to prison this week. For a second, I was thinking you were bringing back Histories, mysteries. Oh, you know, when I did that one, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, this is a lot like histories, mysteries, but it's not. It, it will yeah, because be. it's not history. It's a current event that yes. is happening. Okay. Well, let's get right into it. What is the latest coming out of Ukraine? Well, we have moved from the stalemate that Russia and Ukraine were in to a new push by Russia to overwhelm Ukraine. So we're seeing, uh, we're starting to see the effects of that dwindling aid to Ukraine because Ukraine's air defenses intercepted only two-thirds of the missiles and drones fired by Russia during that recent attack. Uh, And this is why on this podcast we try to highlight Ukraine's need for enhanced air defense capabilities. Um, So while Ukraine has successfully intercepted some cruise missiles and drones during this attack, the overall success rate was much, much lower than it has been in those previous barrages. Well, what do you think is, well, I mean, I have an idea of what it is, but what do you think is preventing more aid to Ukraine? You know, besides the current conflicts in the Middle East. Yeah, that's that's a big one. But I'll also say, you know, Israel, who's a huge ally to the U.S., is not getting the aid that they think they should be getting. And that's all based off of, you know, the border dispute that the Republicans and Democrats are having in the United States on securing the southern border or, you know, whether the southern border is secure or not. Those are all political discussions that that those men and women have. We're not going to have that on this podcast. But to answer your question, and I think you might agree with some of this, um, I think uh, maybe not this one, but some people are going to say that some decision makers, especially within the U.S., uh, are just pro-Russian and they want to see Ukraine fail. I don't agree with that sentiment. I don't think you do. No, either. I don't yeah. think that's it either. Uh, I think we're are... just tired of ever, of us sending all this aid to all these mm-hmm. conflicts all around the globe and we're completely 
ignoring everything that's happening domestically. Yeah, that and so that comes off to, you know, political opponents. You know, if you're a political person that are a political candidate that says that. Are the Democrats saying that it's, or not the Democrats, the Republicans saying that that's why they're not getting more aid to Ukraine right now and yeah, because Israel of domestic, right now? domestic issues. Okay. Basically the southern border. So they're getting pointed out as, well, they're they're pro-Russian. They they support Putin. But who's saying who is pro-Russian in so, this scenario? So Democrats are saying Republicans are pro-Russian because they don't want to send aid to Ukraine. Right. They're also, you know, Republicans are very pro-Israel and right. within the United States. And then Democrats are very pro-Palestine, um, mm-hmm. Gaza, not Hamas. I want to make that very clear. Yeah. Um, and so the, where I see that that is a, you know, that would be a false statement is that they're not just stopping aid to Ukraine. They're stopping aid to Israel as well. And it's all predicated on the southern border and, and securing the southern border. What Which I didn't like the Republicans tried to put forth a bill for the southern border, and then they all collectively decided, eh, never mind. They kind of yeah, abandoned so, it. <laughs> not to not was, get into the politics of things, uh, at, yeah. but we will right here, and that's <laughs> that's perfectly fine. Let's do this. Um, so what what happened Eventually there? Eventually, you'll get to answer my question. But yeah, no, yeah. this is it's good to little... to kind of delve into all the intricacies there because then you can understand geopolitics uh, on, on a much higher level, I think. Um, so what's what's going on is some within the Democratic and Republican Party came to an agreement on securing the southern border, giving aid to Ukraine and giving aid to Israel. Um, bef- okay, putting in my opinion on how I saw this happen, as soon as the bill was released and before anyone read it, Multiple people within the Republican Party who have a huge voice on the extremely conservative right-wing side of the Republican Party blasted that agreement and said they will not sign it because one person who was running for president for the Republican Party went on his own social media and stated it was the worst deal that's ever been made. And you know the hyperbole of a Donald Trump who will say this is the worst deal and whoever made this deal is an idiot. And he has so much power over the Republican Party that they've all said, we're not going to sign the bill. And a lot of those Republicans were the ones who helped put the bill forth, right? Like yep. Mitch Mitch McConnell, he backed off of it, which is yep. so ridiculous. Now, interestingly enough, somebody who gets a, a lot of crap because he has geared more towards the right wing and um, a lot of people on the left really hate this guy, a guy from Texas, Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. Former, you know, Navy SEAL, that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, he actually came out in favor of the bill, even after Trump said it was the worst bill. Some people still have spines. Some people do. He seems to have, I have to, sorry, know. keep going. Well, I'm just saying, like, how do you put forth a bill and then abandon it just based on what politics, it's potential, politics. uh, they they, they want to be on the good side of the potential president, I guess. Well, yeah, that that is. And then, you know, look looking at this from a political level, and then we'll get off of the political talk, but it's yeah. a conversation to have. The way that I'm seeing this as an analyst is if this passes, this is a win for Joe Biden. And as the candidate that's opposing Joe Biden, Donald oh, Trump cannot let think, that happen. Oh, you think that? Oh, that's what it's all. That's what it's always about. So this will happen on the left as well. If a Republican Mm -hmm. president is in power, like when Trump was in power and was putting up some bipartisan deals, some some things that everybody should agree on. They, you know, the the Democratic Party, the left wing of the United States, lambasted him, you know, as a racist, bigot, sexist, whether those things are true or not. The had nothing to do with the bill. Had nothing to do with the bill. I mean, go right. look, go look at the you know prison reform bill. Right, that was uh, an incredible thing that you would never have thought a Republican president would have done, mm-hmm. and Trump got it, agreed to, and he was still considered like he people still considered that a racist bill that was put forward when that was absolutely not okay. And so this happens. This happens all the time, and and that's why I. I hate politics and I don't like really getting into it, but it is good to, you know, it's 
honestly good to go into it and and dive deep into it so you can understand that it's it's not a bunch of people who have your best interest in mind they only I have their own i think everyone is aware of that yeah these days. I, I don't so. know it's i don't usually in an election year you see people start like the previous november before the election they start putting you know floating out who they plan on supporting through the presidential race Mm-hmm. I have seen none of that this year. Not a single solitary person is discussing the presidential election <laughs> that's coming up. They're not talking about who they plan on voting for. It's like a non-starter in a conversation. People just turn their head, ignore you, whenever you bring <laughs> that sort of thing up. And I understand because most people that I have spoken to personally, they don't want to vote for either one of these potential candidates. Yeah, and and if you're in the U.S. listening to this, you don't have to vote for either one of these candidates. You can't vote for your morals. Yeah, but who... I don't even know who's running outside this... outside of... um, Yeah. The two... The two from last time. (laughs) And and I think they're still trying to, to figure that out. You know, you have Robert Kennedy... Uh, yeah, RFK Jr. Yeah, um, you, yeah you've great. got a couple of people, but if you are if you like this talk about politics, um, and you don't like the way we're talking about it, because, yeah, we I don't know enough about it. Um, there is yeah, you know, we've been on the podcast. Can we please talk? Those guys do an incredible job. Yeah, they're much more intelligent and articulate. So well, they're very in tuned into these political intri- intricacies, and I think they do an incredible job. They have their own biases. And they do not let those come in. You know, sometimes it'll it'll slip. But if you're listening to an episode from those guys, I don't think you can tell which side they lean on unless you know them. I don't really think it matters. I think it's more about them just getting the information out there so yeah. that you can make an informed decision, which is what we try to do, even though our <laughs> our opinions pepper everything. <laughs> Yeah, and that's always how it's going to be, and it's human nature to do that. But uh, but those guys do a fantastic job, and so I'm also not a professional. <laughs> You're a professional would, podcaster. You definitely no, are no. Now. I wouldn't say I'm a professional there, Bob, <laughs> at all. <laughs> I got like when I told say. you you missed the last episode, and you said I don't think I missed. It. I wouldn't say I missed it. <laughs> Wait, what? When I did the solo episode, it's like you missed oh, the last yeah. episode. I wouldn't say I missed it, Bob. <laughs> I do say that a lot, don't I? <laughs> I've got one thing that I say. Okay. Anyway, so we were we need... so we were talking about you know support for Ukraine, the Ukraine yeah. aid, and yeah, what do what do you think is preventing more right. aid to Ukraine besides the political infighting that's constant and never ending? Well, I think uh, within those political infighting, I I think that some of those. Uh, some of those officials, they don't understand the repercussions of a Russian victory in Ukraine. So they'll they'll take Putin's comments, at, or his public comments at face value. I'm and sure that, they're going to get money from it somehow. They probably yeah, have something course. shady going on. I, I'm just making assumptions, sorry. Uh, I just uh, obviously don't trust. <laughs> I don't trust the government. Well, I mean, whenever they go in and they have... Uh, they have like a set salary that they're supposed to be receiving while they are mm-hmm. in service to their country, but they all come out multimillionaires. Come on, buddy. Come well, on. Very, very good, um, you know, investments. Because they get. Well, no, they just make very good investments. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. You're telling me to shut up, and I'm shutting no. up. No, that no, that was that was the. <laughs> I'm just remembering the Nancy Pelosi, um, when she was her... doing a briefing, and somebody asked her about her investments and how they always tracked with finding something out from insider mm-hmm. trading, and she right. did that Chappelle show clip. It was like that Chappelle show clip. Where it's like I don't know. he throws everything off the desk and runs out of the office. <laughs> like she just she's like, huh, what? And then walks off from the podium. Oh, <laughs> right. They don't insider trade. No, no, they don't at all. But so with them doing insider trading and they are they are getting their money. You are exactly right. Yeah, they all they, come out super rich. They keep voting to raise their salaries while they haven't done anything 
to help you know regular people like they're the right the hourly so wage the is so low so, so nobody, the problem can, is, nobody can even get freaking one room apartments by themselves the the repercussions that oh. i'm talking about that they don't understand it, mm-hmm. they're only going to affect people like you and me and people listening they're not going to affect the people in power because they're always right. going to make their money yeah, yeah so what, so why so. do i i say that um and I started talking about like Putin's public comments, and uh, that's where he says he's just trying to return Russian land to the Russian people. Some people right. do believe that that's all he's he's looking for. Yeah, they don't understand that the real goal is actually weaved into that statement. It doesn't just affect that eastern portion of Ukraine. He has mentioned on several occasions to his own people that he wants a return to the full Soviet Union. So that means NATO countries like Poland and Finland are at risk. And Alaska. Well, yeah. Now, Alaska, after those comments from Putin, well, not from Putin, but from his officials. Right. That that was a dumb deal and should have never happened. (laughs) He floated Um, it, but that's not going to happen. But if they are successful, and I agree with you, that's not going to happen. I don't even think that they care that much. It's just a statement to put out to look strong. Right. Uh, But if Russia is successful in Ukraine, NATO and the United States will get involved in a war with Russia. And that's I say that because he is going to continue to get to those. He's going to try to get to Poland and Finland. And this is going back on to the the political talk. This is regardless of the next president of the United States. So if you're if you're sitting here listening and you think Trump is a is a Russian asset, or, you know, that he is an isolationist and you like him because he's not going to send U.S. military to defend places like Poland. I have news for you. He already did that. He already sent myself and, and others and had a huge campaign in an overt anti-Russian aggression campaign in Poland. So it if what he does is he's going to continue to do what he has been doing as Trump, if he becomes president, he's going to do it again. And so allowing Putin to continue this special military operation could have worse economic repercussions on us as individuals. And that's going to be far more costly than just sending aid to Ukraine. So I know from for a fact, because I've talked to people, that this is not a very popular opinion. I have, do not have a popular opinion right now, but mm-hmm. sometimes facts just aren't popular. So you're saying you think we should be sending more aid to Ukraine? Absolutely. Not in dollars and just sending out uh, a blank check to the Ukrainian people or to Zelensky, but sending air defense missiles, sending, uh, you know, weapons, sending more modern pieces of equipment. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Now I was going to let you finish before I completed my thought. Were you done with your sentence? I just absolutely think that it's a good idea to keep doing that. Well, don't you think that, I mean, obviously they would look that look at that as an escalation from our end, wouldn't wouldn't they that embolden them to possibly start going? They'd be like, OK, fine. You're going to send these weapons to Ukraine. We're going to move into Poland now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so that's like a chicken or the egg conversation. Right. Which one yeah. which one would come first? You know, is it because we're sending aid that Russia actually goes in to Poland? So is it just going to happen regardless? I don't have the answer to that. You make a very, very good point that continued aid could lead to that. But what I'm going to tell you is mm-hmm. that not continuing the aid is absolutely is going to lead to an okay. invasion of Finland, Poland, Moldova, places like that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes total sense. I was just asking you bring up for an absolutely wonderful point. <laughs> yeah, you are okay. exactly right. Well, I mean, Trump may not be some Russian asset, going back to what you said earlier, but um, recently Tucker Carlson traveled to Russia to interview Putin. Look at him. Is he is he a Russian asset? <laughs> and do you think it is productive to have an American figurehead interviewing someone like Putin? Yes, this, this, is, this is so interesting. And, and what I find funny about this is the backlash to it. So Tucker Carlson is getting a lot of backlash because he's interviewing, you know, the worst person in the world, Vladimir Putin. 
Um, and this has nothing to do with Putin, I'm going to tell you. No, I know the worst person in the world, and it's not Vladimir Putin. Well, our personal dis- yeah, you know, know, differences is... I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I made worldwide days, but I'm not, not as bad as Putin, Tiana. I'm just kidding. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got you. Yeah, we got you. Well, at least I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, what? yeah, what I wanted to say was that this has nothing to do with Putin, actually. This has everything to do with Tucker Carlson. He wants the clout? Oh, yeah. Or... He, ab- he ab- absolutely wants the clout. I'm not going to give my opinion on Tucker Carlson, honestly, because I could care less about the guy. I don't think he's uh, he's good or evil. I just think yeah. he's a clout chaser, like he said. Mm-hmm. Now, he's obviously hated among most journalists, uh, especially more progressive journalists. They really just hate the guy. So uh, he is definitely seen. You asked if he's a Russian asset. He is definitely seen as a Russian asset by those people. Um, but listen, like I said, I, I find it funny. Um, it, it's because those people, the same media agencies that are talking about how terrible Tucker Carlson is for interviewing mm. uh, Vladimir Putin, interviewed people like Osama bin Laden. That was on public, the public broadcasting station or PBS yeah. within the United States. Uh, Dan Rather, the great modern journalist and, and figurehead for CBS News, interviewed Saddam Hussein as he was gassing his own people leading up to the invasion of the United States into Iraq. Those were seen as the most evil people of that time. And yet it was actually promoted as such right. a great thing to have I, this conversation. Right. I remember when those interviews came out yeah. and everybody was clamoring to see them. Yeah, definitely. Nobody got reamed for it. Nobody got reamed for it. It was just, we knew something was coming and I guess these um, journalists were trying to get into the heads of these people. Not yeah, and it worked because obviously the questions were heavily vetted. Yeah, so exactly. That's what I wanted to say. If you're going to say that Tucker Carlson shouldn't go to Russia to interview Vladimir Putin because your questions are going to be heavily vetted and you're not going to get real answers and you're not going to have that gotcha moment. Well, Mm -hmm. you can't. That's all the time. Yeah. That's every interview is is vetted in that way when you get to this level of influence. Um, When it's a dictator. Yeah, well, Saddam you know, Hussein, who has, human, who has human rights violations, you yeah. know. Yeah, Saddam Hussein wasn't going to let Dan Rather have a gotcha moment on national television. Right, it's not going to happen. So, so to say that there are certain people the media are not going to interview because they're too evil—that's just factually incorrect. So, do you think those calling out Tucker Carlson have a legitimate concern, or are they just jealous that he bagged the interview? Yeah, I mean those the. Great question. And I think both of those statements are true. Um, so the legitimate concern, I, and I say legitimate because I feel like this is a concern, is that now Putin has a platform on a very popular American media site. Make no mistake, Tucker is very, very popular. You, you may not like him. I'm talking you personally listening to this may not like him. You may love him. That That yeah. is neither here nor there. He is very popular among a certain sect of the American population. In the the tens of millions go on his site. Um, And so there are some people who are legitimately worried he could incite more negativity towards Ukraine. The other part of this is that, yeah, any if we talked about this, any one of those journalists would love to get that interview, um, say, hey, I bagged the interview with Vladimir Putin. I'm going to try to get a gotcha moment. We know that's not going to happen. Right. And then what they would be thinking is, think of their career as a journalist. It would just skyrocket. Um, It it would be incredible for that person. So it's the exact reason why, that's the exact reason why Putin won't agree to it from someone within the mainstream U.S. media. He knows that they all hate him. Yeah. He knows it'll be edited in a certain way, so he's not going to agree to it. So he's going to the far right. Yeah. He's going to somebody that he feels is uh, is more friendly to mm-hmm. him, whether, you know, how does Tucker Carlson really feel? I don't know if we any of us honestly know. Yeah, I think he's he's doing it for clout and 
I would say at some points he's a grifter because he's changed his opinions on lots of things and said things on TV that we found out in after release of text messages. He didn't really feel that way. Um, yeah. So interesting things there. So do you think he's like playing a, like his journalist character? It's a character. It could be. Yeah, I, I really playing do. It, playing into his audience. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, all journalists do that. This is not just a Tucker Carlson thing, you know. Yeah. You know. Uh, every, every single person you're hearing on TV or in the radio, that is a character. You know, right. That, that's not who they really are. And that's because it's entertainment. And if you're going to be entertaining, you've got to play a character. Uh, and I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm saying that just gets information out there. So, so to just kind of wrap this all up, uh, Putin knows he's got to curate who puts his message out. And I think he really feels that Tucker is a great avenue for getting that message out. Okay, well, with that said, let's move to the Middle East, where Israel and Hamas are still fighting, unfortunately. Um, the last couple weeks have seen an increased desire for a ceasefire from both Israel and Hamas. What is the latest from those discussions? Do you think that we're going to see a ceasefire soon? Because I saw that Hamas proposed. Yeah, so that... That really has been the talk. And like you said, Hamas did send a 135-day ceasefire proposal, which they're looking to make into a truce with Israel. Such a random number of days. Yeah, and uh, there's reasons for that and how they got okay, to that day. Well, let's start with Hamas's proposal for a truce. Would you consider this a detailed plan with specific stages or, um, like, can you walk us through what Hamas is proposing currently? Yeah, and it does have different stages. That's how we get to 135 days. You know, after this many days, we'll do this. And after this, so there's different, there's three stages. Um, they put a what I would consider a comprehensive plan for a truce. Uh, whether I agree with it being a good plan or not, it's a comprehensive plan. Um, it consists, like I said, of three stages. The first stage they're calling for the release of certain categories of prisoners on both sides and then the provision of humanitarian aid to Gaza. What are those categories of prisoners? Well, uh, for Israel, they would get back Israeli female captives and then uh, Hamas would get back certain Palestinian prisoners that they would put forward. And then with that, there's going to be also a delivery of essential supplies. In the second stage, Hamas would they give the supplies to the civilians at all, or is it well, just? Well, that's not how this works. No, oh. they would give it to the aid organizations that we have found out recently work with Hamas, who would then give it to Hamas, and then those well, supplies. I where our money went when we sent money to Palestinian aid. Well, probably not where we wanted it to go. Not where, yeah. Um, and that's the trouble with sending actual money to different organizations you just do not don't know even if you vet them you just yep. don't know uh, it mm -hmm. could be stolen uh so i love human nature second stage there was a proposal for the release of all the remaining male israeli captives in exchange for the withdrawal of all israeli troops from gaza in that stage, they also ask for the continuation of humanitarian aid and then the start of infrastructure reconstruction within Gaza. Because as we know, Gaza is completely a, a wasteland right now due to the continued strikes from the IDF. Then in the third stage, Hamas said that they will agree to release all bodies or remains of everyone that has been held, along with Israel agreeing to continuing that humanitarian support throughout the rest of the time. Well, is there anything else that Hamas has proposed in this plan? Yeah, so we'll talk about the infrastructure reconstruction. They also right. demand full reconstruction of all the destroyed infrastructure. Um, and they do they want that done within a specific time frame. So no dilly-dallying. <laughs> um, there's also certain conditions related to the Al-Aqsa Mosque. A lot of that hasn't come out uh, yet. But I would assume it is that no Israeli could be... Uh, could go into the Al-Aqsa Mosque. That includes police, the IDF, or civilians. Why that one specifically? Because that is what Hamas had started this entire conflict, was that the IDF went into the Al-Aqsa Mosque to find Hamas operatives, and that was seen as a, as a big no-no. 
Oh, okay. And so at that point, they said they started planning the October 7th attacks. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so, you know, we go through the whole historical process. Um, I know a lot of times we like to see things as a moment in history, and then kind of when you start backtracking that moment in history, you understand how it led to that. So yeah. you kind of identify what happened there. Hindsight being... Hindsight, yeah. Um, now, Hamas is also adamant that uh, all the other countries in the region need to get involved because they need to ensure that Israel actually adheres to the plan and holds up their end of the bargain. Well, then the question becomes, how are Israel and other stakeholders responding to this particular proposal? Well, officially, Israel has not yet responded. Um, I knew they were they're looking through it, though. Yes, they they are evaluating the details. Now, there is skepticism about whether Israel will agree. That's because Prime Minister Netanyahu's stance has been... They're both hardlining. Yeah, he wants to continue the conflict. Um, Now, the U.S. and Egypt are actively engaged in negotiations because they want the ceasefire. It it affects those countries. Um, Listen, Netanyahu's been adamant from the beginning that the war will end when Hamas is completely destroyed. So the problem with that intent is it's tough to agree to a peace deal with an organization that you want annihilated. Right. The the same thing I say as to why countries like Iran, Iraq, Syria, those all those countries in the Middle East, they don't want to get involved in peace deals with Israel because they don't think that Israel and the Jewish people should exist. So it's tough to formulate a deal when you don't think that other entity should exist. Okay, so what do you think the prospects are for a truce this time? Well, it's uh, it's a delegate situation. So public opinion in Israel seems to favor continued military action, so to keep fighting in Gaza. That's going to complicate the negotiation process. So uh, I will also say on the other side, there's a significant international pressure for a ceasefire. That could affect how Israel decides on this. So it's a matter of Israel finding the balance between those competing interests and figuring out which one is should be figuring out which one is best for the people of Israel. Personally, I think we are still a ways away from a legitimate truce. But uh, a month-long or a two-month ceasefire, I think, is very doable right now. I think both. You think, you, should, you think just the people of Israel should, like, that it should be about who, like, what benefits the people of Israel? What about the people From an Israeli Palestine? standpoint. From a Palestinian oh. standpoint, they should worry about the people of Palestine. And, yeah. and that. So I'm talking, thank you for... Yeah, I didn't. I, don't remember, I apologize if I spaced out and you mentioned that you were discussing specifically Israel's standpoint because I didn't recall you. I could have spaced out. No, it's a, yeah, I, I'm I'm trying to remember and I don't know if I specifically said I yeah. always and we want to be okay, specific well, about this. Yeah, I wanted the clarification because I was like, why is it specifically just about Israel and what they want out of it? Because. There are two groups here, obviously. Right, right, okay. and so yeah, the the Israelis like worry. It's technically, three groups because well, the meddling U.S. people. Oh no, no <laughs> babe, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you know Hamas obviously has their own agenda, and oh yeah, yeah, with Palestine who were caught in the middle of everything. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. They're the third group. Gotcha. Yeah, and so just just to finish that off, like and and reiterate that. The Israeli government needs to worry about the Israeli people and what's going to be best for the Israeli people. I don't think a long-term sustained conflict is best for the Israeli people. Mm-hmm. And then the, the the Palestinian Authority, which is the governing body of Palestine, not of Gaza, but the Palestinian Authority needs to do something mm-hmm. about Hamas. And they, they need to do that because uh, I'm going to break some news here for some people. Hamas does not care about the people of Gaza. They only care about themselves, and that's evident in their leadership not even being in Gaza yeah, and being in other countries like Qatar. They do not care about their Are some people. of them in Iran, too? Didn't you mention Yeah, and there's a few Iran. in Europe as well. And pa- are any of them in Pakistan? Did you mention Pakistan? I uh, believe—I don't remember Pakistan— um, okay. But it's, it's maybe very, not. We're not trying to throw Pakistan under the bus or anything for sheltering Hamas officials. We're not. No, and some of these countries yeah. don't even know that at the moment. 
you know, they right. have an, a Hamas official in their country. Yeah. Well, moving from one conflict in the Middle East to another, let's talk about U.S. military action in Syria, Iraq, and Yemen, because we meddle everywhere. What is the latest going on there? Yeah, so I think last week, if I'm not mistaken, we left off with U.S. President Joe Biden having made the decision to carry out strikes on Iranian-backed targets. Um, I believe the day the podcast came out, they actually began to um, to attack those targets, which was, you know, I had an analyst talking to me who actually predicted that that is actually what was going to happen because it's better to do it once the markets close on a Friday, start the attacks in the Middle East, and then it doesn't hurt economically, you know, the global markets and stuff like that. So good, That's good one. Slick. That's kind of slick, slick move. Yeah. Slick. And, and journalists do this in the news when they have some something that they don't really want to get out publicly. They'll put it like a Friday night. They'll release it, and then everybody's forgot it by Monday. So, yeah, this ha- this happens everywhere. Okay. But, you know, the when that was going on, the question everyone wanted answered was, will the United States directly target Iran? And they want to know that because that could cause a regional conflict between the U.S. and Iran. Um, the answer to that was no. They did not di- directly attack Iran, um, but they did carry out significant airstrikes targeting Iranian-backed militias, both in Iraq and Syria. Now, that the strikes involved 85 targets across seven locations, um, and President O'Biden emphasized that... You said President O'Biden. <laughs> oh, oh, O'Biden. Well, I was just thinking that you were combining Obama and Biden, and Biden together. <laughs> yeah, like probably times. was. Okay. Uh, those were my days of carrying out strikes across 85 targets was the O'Biden days, yeah. Was it the O'Biden days? Yep. I feel like it was the Bush. Oh, I started. I cut my teeth in the Bush administration. You cut the your Bush teeth strikes in the Bush. administration. <laughs> um, so, yeah, 85 targets. It was the President... Oh, man, I'm doing it again. President, President Biden. Biden. Yeah. Um, President... President Biden. <laughs> I think I want to say President Joe Biden, and I'm going President. Oh, oh Biden. But you're like, no, I can't say that. And then, it- and and I can still revere the office of the presidency and just say Biden emphasized the right. United States resolve to respond to threats against Americans, as he should. He's the president of the United States, of um, course. And I was still piecing all of this together. Um, casualties and damages are still being reported, but there is some controversy over the strike's impact on regional stability. And that's because Iraq and Syria are condemning the actions and they call it a violation of their sovereignty, the sovereignty of their own state. The reason behind that is Iraq has said that the U.S. did not give them the heads up on what they were going to strike. And the U.S. said, well, of course we're not because you're going to protect those areas. So that's where the those arguments are going. So, oh, uh, now uh, despite all of this, all the strikes, everything that's going on, the United States and Iran both have asserted that they do not seek conflict with each other. Well, does the U.S. intend to continue these strikes, or was this a one-off thing? So, quick, quick answer to that is yes. The United States intends to continue these strikes. Um, we know this because White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan stated that additional strikes and actions are planned and that they're planned to send a clear message that the United States will respond to attacks on its forces and its people. Honestly, as I said last week, the U.S. has no choice but to take the fight to these proxies. Because if they don't, the U.S. will appear weak. That means more strikes on U.S. service members, and that means that a possible attack on the U.S. could happen. Then, as we wait and see how these actions affect geopolitics as a whole, let's get into the whole BRICS discussion. Yes. In the rundown, you mentioned that Saudi Arabia is backtracking on their desire to be a part of BRICS+. Plus. Can you discuss the implications and how this changes global trade dynamics? Because they were one of the big ones. Yeah, so this hesitation to join BRICS is very significant. We, you know, we've been talking about this for a couple of years now. Um, the Saudi Arabia's potential membership in BRICS was seen as a potential game changer. 
And that's because of its strategic location, those immense oil reserves, and because it has this sway on the global energy markets. Now, what we're seeing is that recent developments indicate Saudi Arabia is going a different route. Instead of aligning with BRICS, Saudi Arabia has opted to strengthen its ties with the United States. And this is evident by its recent agreement with United States defense contracting company Lockheed Martin for the production of what's called Terminal High Altitude Air Defense, or THAAD systems. And this move not only shows Saudi Arabia's commitment to its relationship with the United States, and this is especially true with the ongoing fight against the Houthis, but also its reluctance to fully commit to BRICS and that agenda that BRICS has, which is to de-dollarize the global markets. Well, you have been cautious about Saudi Arabia as a U.S. ally. So how do you interpret Saudi Arabia's reluctance to join BRICS Plus in this context? And, you know, the context of, you know, global geopolitics and trade? Well, yeah, Saudi Arabia's position to me reflects a delicate balancing act. Uh, so it's trying to maintain uh, these lines between... Uh, traditional, if not unreliable, alliances with the United States and its own economic interests. Saudi Arabia doesn't want to alienate itself from the West, especially as it's undergoing economic reforms and opening up its economy to sectors like tourism. So joining BRICS would potentially strain its relations with the United States, hurt that tourism sector, which the U.S. remains a crucial partner in a couple of areas, uh, most notably defense and security. Hence, Saudi Arabia's cautious approach highlights the complexities of navigating these geopolitical rivalries, but they also need to safeguard their own economic interests. It's all about money when we're talking about geopolitics. So this, really, this is one of the reasons why analysts that I really respect and I talk to about my worries about BRICS Plus, they were not as worried as I am and I still am worried about BRICS. Um, so now what we're seeing in to talk about what those guys were right about, we're seeing these fractures in BRICS plus. But what, what I would caution is it doesn't mean that China and Russia are just going to backtrack on their intent to remove the dollar from the global currency. I want to circle back on the implications of Saudi Arabia's recent agreements with Lockheed Martin amidst its indecision regarding BRICS. How does this impact the region's security dynamics and their global trade? So, yeah, the, the, that agreement between Saudi Arabia and Lockheed Martin do have broader ramifications beyond just the defense sector. The timing of these deals, you know, amidst all escalating tensions in the Red Sea due to Houthis attacking shipping vessels, which Saudi Arabia is very concerned about, shows this actually shows that Saudi Arabia is prioritizing their security concerns. So by bolstering its defense capabilities, Saudi Arabia aims to secure vital maritime routes and then protect its economic interests from those potential disruptions. Now, these developments could have implications for global trade. You know, any instability in the region could affect the flow of goods and energy resources. That's just going to impact international markets, and Saudi Arabia understands this. So if that happens, that's going to reverberate across the globe. It's going to hit all of us in our pocketbooks. I, I know recently we received a message from a listener who he wanted more in-depth financial market information and how geopolitics affects that. Um, I don't think we're anywhere close to being financial advisors, the two of us. Um, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But, but if you're still listening, um, I can tell you right now that all the chaos that's going on in the world, uh, it's going to affect the global markets. They're going to be impacted. So, Oil is going to go up, skyrocket. Everyday goods and services, or price for that, is, is going to be on the rise. And though all of those things are going to be negatively impacted. Well, with that lovely update, let's get into the next topic. Um, a topic that I'm sure no one is surprised to hear. China supports Russia. Where's the breaking news, Siren? It's confirmed. Okay, Carvin, um, why is this so important? Because, you know, obviously, up to this point, China has not come out and said it, but obviously their actions have proven otherwise. So because we all know, you know, China supports Russia, this really isn't anything new, or is it? Well, yeah, it's it's true. You're right. China supports Russia. 
Russia and China's support for Russia is not groundbreaking news or, or breaking news. We don't need the breaking news siren to come out. Uh, but the context in which this support is being expressed is what I wanted to get into. So this came from a recent confirmation of support from China's defense minister, Dong Jun. And he was talking to his Russian counterpart, uh, Sergei Shoigu. And so he made this statement to Shoigu amidst the ongoing Ukraine crisis that we are almost in year two of. And it sheds light on this evolving dynamic of this China-Russia partnership that we're seeing. Okay, it does seem like a reaffirmation of sorts, which is concerning considering the escalating tensions in the region. But could you shed some light on why China has chosen to publicly express the support right now? And what do you think it signifies in the broader context of, you know, the geopolitical landscape? Yeah, so their decision to openly back Russia, and that's amid the Ukraine crisis, shows the depth of their strategic alignment with Russia. It also shows the resilience of their partnership in the face of external pressures. So all the sanctions, all the the ill will towards the West is not changing. Well, China. it's because they, they're two peas in a pod. Why would yeah. they? Ha- why would it? You know, I don't think it would affect. It would cement their relationship because right yeah. now we're just proving them right. Yeah, you isolate two people from the group, and those two people tend right. to get closer together. Buddy up, right? A buddy cop movie. And so it is important to note that China's support for Russia isn't just rhetoric. It doesn't extend just to rhetoric and just to say, yeah, we're going to support each other. There have been indications of military and logistical assistance, um, and that's highlighted by recent analysis from multiple intelligence communities that China is actually supporting Russia militarily in their fight with Ukraine. So would you say this support signifies a formal military alliance between China and Russia? Because that sounds like another step closer to World War Three. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's a good question to ask. Um, I would say not quite. OK. Because Xi has not officially come out and said that we are going to militarily support Russia. Now, he's done things that indicate that, but. Well, we've done things to indicate we support countries <laughs> that we aren't directly involved in a conflict exactly. with. Exactly. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, despite the growing cooperation in various domains like defense, both China and Russia have been very careful to emphasize that their relationship does not constitute a formal military alliance. Okay. Um, even Shoigu, their defense minister, made it very clear. He highlighted the unique nature of their partnership, meaning that they have an economic partnership, not a military partnership. Right. But the level of collaboration, particularly in the defense sector, is undoubtedly significant, and it's raised eyebrows all across the West. It's intriguing how they navigate this balance between cooperation and avoiding formal alliances. Yeah, that's geopolitics, right? (laughs) Now, what... What implications does this deepening China-Russia partnership have for global security and stability? So that's going to depend on on who you ask. I know you're asking me, but um, in the grand scheme of things, depends on who you're asking. Now, the BRICS countries are going to say it provides a counterbalance to the dominance of Western powers. It promotes multipolarity uh, in international relations, meaning more countries can be involved in international relations not just the U.S. and the superpowers. But on the other hand, the West is going to say it raises concerns about potential destabilization in the region, particularly if this partnership between Russia and China becomes more confrontational. Okay, well, that was not a very comforting analysis, but maybe this next topic brings a bit more hope on the global stage. Uh, You mentioned that the youth of India are believed to be more pro-American. Yeah. I know India is on your radar as a power player in geopolitics. So what is the latest there? Yeah, I'm very interested in India. I'm diving into a lot of what they're doing on the global markets. Um, Now, the latest polling data is from the Observer Research Foundation. um, And there's this very interesting shift in the geopolitical perception of India's youth. The, The survey was conducted last year. It just came out this year and it revealed a significant shift away from China and towards the United States among many young uh, youth from India. And that's particularly in the urban centers of India. 
Well, could you delve a bit deeper into what's driving this preference for U.S. over China among India's younger demographic? Yeah, and so the survey indicated that a multitude of factors contributed to this preference. So first, there's a high level of satisfaction among the youth of India regarding the country's international relations, and that's especially because of its deepening partnership with the United States. They're seeing an economic bump because of this, and that's helping that out. Now, the strategic alignment between the two countries, which is fueled by mutual interest and this shared concern that China is an adversary, that actually does seem to be resonating strongly with the youth in India. Well, could you elaborate on how recent events like border clashes with China and India's prime minister visiting the United States have influenced these perceptions? Uh, yeah, and you're exactly right. That That is what is happening here. Um not too the, happy right now, yeah. China. The the deadly clashes along the border of India and China, which happened in 2020, significantly eroded trust uh, among Indian youths against China. The survey indicated that a vast majority of respondents view uh, border conflicts with China as a significant challenge to India, and many are remaining cautious about India's current ties to China. If you remember, you know, who the BRICS countries are. Well, India is one of those. And so could we be seeing a fracture there? That could be very oh, important. I mean, obviously. Exactly. Kind of. Um, well, at least once the younger generation starts yep. moving into the positions in the government. Or as China continues to get more aggressive in the next year, we could see that happening. Yeah, that's true. It could that's be very true. devastating for BRICS. Um now, we also had Prime Minister Modi's visit to the U.S. That's the Indian Prime Minister. Um, and during that visit, he actually signed some very some landmark deals. And this further reinforced the perception that the U.S. is a key strategic partner for India and that has helped this support. Well, that's a clear indication of how geopolitical events shape public opinion, can shape public opinion. Oh, my God, what is wrong with me? Click. That's a clear indication of how geopolitical events can shape public opinion. Now, looking ahead, how do you see these trends impacting India's foreign policy in the future? Well, the, if you look at the data, that the data suggests that the youth of India overwhelmingly expect the United States to be their country's leading partner in the coming decade. So this could potentially influence India's foreign policy decisions, particularly regarding this near-peer global conflict between major powers like the U.S., China, and Russia. So when we're trying to find who's going to align with what side, India is going to play a huge part in this. It also underscores the need for India to possibly move away from these traditional alliances they've had with countries that are nearby their borders like Russia and China. So lots of geopolitical impacts going on here. So let's get into the final topic for this episode and that is the fact that a former CIA engineer was sentenced to 40 years in prison. Can you explain what this individual did and if there are any future impacts because of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the individual in question is Joshua Schult. Um, he's a former CIA engineer, played a significant role in what's known as the Vault 7 leak. This leak essentially exposed the CIA's techniques for hacking Apple and Android smartphones, um, and this was for overseas espionage purposes. Um, he also uh, leaked information on efforts to utilize internet-connected TVs as surveillance devices. Now, prior to his arrest, he was involved in developing these hacking tools while working as a coder at the CIA at their headquarters in Langley. How do we know they're not using that stuff against us right now? How do you know, Tiana? Do we know? Because that sounds like why he leaked it. Like the implication behind that leak is that he thinks that it's going to be used against all much, people. Much like Not the Snowden leaks, right, for the NSA. Right. Snowden. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh when he, you talk about Snowden. Probably the movie. Yeah, it's definitely the movie. <laughs> Which okay, was terrible, so by the way. This just seems to me like a whistleblower. Could you elaborate on why his actions were considered so damaging? Because they got tattled on, probably, and they yeah. didn't like it. 
I I do get that, and I always understand that. Um, but right. we have to, so this is we have to see this through the lens of the intelligence community and with yeah, classified okay. information. There's a fine line between a whistleblower and a leaker, right? Okay. So the U.S. has labeled Schultz disclosure as the most damaging disclosures of classified information in American history. That's this, a bold. That's a bold. Well, it's thing it's to say. not just hyperbole though. Because of this, the consequences of his actions were far reaching. Now, what he did was he released it to WikiLeaks and WikiLeaks. And what my problem with WikiLeaks is not that they put out the information, but they don't redact information. So they'll put out thousands of pages of documents to the public. Mm -hmm. And in some of those pages, it will not deal with what they're trying to release or what they're trying to highlight. It'll have it's, personal information. It'll have personal information about people, where they're located, what they're right. doing, where their families are. And that's what happened here. Okay. So that this is, that is a problem. This leak compromised national security. Uh, it, it jeopardized CIA personnel and also CIA assets overseas. Okay. Um, significantly degraded the agency's ability to gather intelligence on adversaries. That degrades the U.S. ability for national security. Mm-hmm. So while it looks like on the surface, like it's a noble thing to disclose, there are secondary and tertiary effects to a leak like this. Well, I appreciate you clarifying why, because I was over here <laughs> like, what's the problem? Yeah, if you if you cares if it's know about me TVs, and... if it's about TVs and cell phones, why does it matter? But right. That does and, and if you know sense. me and you obviously know that I am not in favor of using television or Amazon devices or any smartphones to track people. I don't right. think the government should be doing that uh, at all. So I'm sure they're listening to you right now saying yeah. well, we'll that. get a knock on the door. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll deal with it. I'm kind of kidding, but I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing a character, guys. That's what I tell them. Yeah. This is just okay. my journalist character. Your journalist character. Your analyst character. Yeah, it's a character. Yeah. Okay. Well, now during his sentencing, Schultz um, made some statements, including complaints about his treatment and then accusations against the government. So clearly Mm -hmm. in the last few years, it just made him angrier. Yeah. You know, being in prison. So do you think these statements factored into the judge's decision to give him 40 years in prison? Well, I think it was the lack of remorse, uh, not accepting responsibility. You know, we we talk about that a lot. Just own up to yeah. it if you're going to do it. Got to be. I did it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I did it, and I'm going to own it. Um. Now, come what may. Yeah. We start singing. Come what may. Oh, I was about to, but I muted the microphone before. Oh, good, good. Yeah, yeah. mute it, and you can sing it. Yeah. <laughs> so I locked out all of um Ewan McGregor's parts in Moulin Rouge. I can't wait. So that is the after the show broadcast. And if you pay $50 a month, you get access to Tiana singing all of Ewan McGregor's parts in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> yep. Yep. Who's interested? <laughs> we, with a cost. Everything I'm not even interested. I'm not um, even interested in doing that. But if you're interested in that, let me know. We'll no. set something up. But going back to Schultz, um Yeah. So he focus. was given the chance to express remorse um but he wanted to focus on criticizing the government criticizing the conditions of his detention and so the judge well, it's car- not a five-star hotel buddy <laughs> right you're and, being punished <laughs> and obviously to the judge he saw that you know his motivations in releasing this in releasing that information to wikileaks was not some uh you know good deed it was driven by anger and spite towards the oh. u.s government Okay. Uh, he didn't have any noble intentions or altruism. It's the same thing I consider about Snowden. We put Snowden up on this pedestal. He didn't do right. it because he thought he was doing something noble. He was. He, wa- he wanted the clout, though. He wanted clout. Um, now, I also want to say, before anybody gets to praising this guy as a whistleblowing hero, like we all, you know, a lot of people did for Snowden, Mm-hmm. He was also convicted of possessing child sexual abuse images. And that Burn him. Yeah. Light him on fire. Added Light to the severity 
of his sentence. So, but I don't. I mean, if I will say that a significant portion of his forty-year sentence is actually attributed to the uh, those images that he had. So that was done at the same time as this. Um, yeah, as there the were. Leaking? So it was two different decisions. Oh, so two separate charges. So they yep. found the child. Um, so yeah, you know they do an investigation on somebody. You get warrants for everything that you own, going uh, through his computers and stuff like that. They found these these images, and that really bumped those charges up. Forty years is nice. Yeah, and I feel like everybody Meaning that 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 the judge was being lenient. Yeah, he was him. being lenient because anybody who ugh, never mind, not going down that road. That's a road that makes my head hurt. Yeah, so I think that really led to the the forty years. Well, good. Now I don't care what happens to him. I don't <laughs> care. I'm glad he doesn't like the conditions in his jail cell. Enjoy yourself. You got forty more years left, buddy. I knew I could get you turned on this guy. If he doesn't get his butt beat by yeah. other inmates, I mean, that's putting it nicely. What I'm saying, I know what happens. This is a family to- show. This is a family show, so. I'm doing that so that Wendy can still listen. Yes. And Jensen, you know, we've got little we've got little fans, younger fans that we've got to keep this family oriented kind of correct. Kind of family oriented. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much, Kerbin. Is that all for this week? Yeah, it better be because we are well over time. Really? Um, what time is it? Yeah, we're over an hour. Hey, we did it. Look at that. And no juice boxes were destroyed in the no making of this podcast. Boxes. This was just us yelling at each other. <laughs> hey, I did not yell this time. <laughs> I may have yelled before, but I did not yell this time. I so that's all I got. But do you have anything you want? Oh, I do have something. Yeah, oh, I was about um... to say, why don't you talk about what you did today, buddy? Or oh, is that, I'll get that's into not that. What we're talk about. Okay, well then do that. Talk about those um, things. I have nothing to add. Because... <laughs> well, we got another uh, comment on our Spotify, but this one warmed my heart. It came from a, a good friend of the podcast, Cole. And he just wanted to say he's been he's been listening. He's catching up on episodes. He hopes you're feeling much better, Tiana. And mm-hmm. he just gives his his full support. And so I want to give uh, if you don't follow Alcon Intel on Instagram, please go follow that because you are going. If you are into the Indo Pacific, that is who you need to be following for intelligence. And thank you so much, Cole. I feel wonderful, and I gave COVID to our middle child. Nice. So. That, yeah, it's the gift what, that keeps on giving. Yeah. I don't know how the other two haven't gotten it because I feel like Madeline's been in my face a lot more <laughs> than anybody else. But she's fine. She's not she doesn't have COVID. But Natalie, poor Natalie got COVID for a few days. But they're fine. Like they were fine after three days up and walking around. <laughs> I was out of commission the whole time. I could barely move. So uh, that's the difference between youth. And middle yeah. age, I guess. But I, uh, yeah, and you, what you alluded to was yeah. I did a speaking engagement for the Army's Contracting Command um, about um, understanding culture and cultural competency within the workplace and within military operations. I was able to use my background as an intelligence analyst to identify how understanding the cultures that you are working in and the cultures of the people that you are working with actually improve military operations and lead to success of military operations. Um, I I think I did a very good job. We'll get those surveys back in a week, <laughs> and then I can tell everybody how I really did. Yeah, and he'll be honest. He'll say, I will. you know, maybe I missed the mark on that topic. Maybe I missed I, it. <laughs> Crushed I, it. I do take con- constructive criticism, and so I know Tiana's going to ask everybody to rate, review, Please do review um, these episodes, and if there's something that oh, you yeah. don't like, let me know. Um, honestly, we and we might put, listen. We will listen. We'll we'll listen whether we yeah. can change it or not. Sometimes yeah. suggestions, um, we just can't fit it into the. For change. instance, like the financial, more financial right. deep diving. We that is something so far out of our wheelhouse, but maybe we can look into. Um, having somebody on the podcast that does yeah, that. having someone on the podcast that does that financial I will look into that yeah, a financial analyst who pays attention. Well, I'm sure they all pay attention to what's going on geopolitically, but <laughs> and maybe we can find someone that's kind of fun and doesn't drone on. I'm not implying that all financial 
people. We oh, we get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, we yeah, we'll find something like that and have somebody like that on to explain, you know, what's going on in the world and how it's going to impact financial markets. <laughs> and if you are still listening right now, that means you absolutely love this show, um, which means if we love if you. you yeah, That's we absolutely happens. love you. Yeah, we and love you. If you are not one that wants to tell your family and friends personally about the podcast that you listen to, because those interactions are not very fun sometimes, <laughs> what's a mm-hmm. podcast and how do I do this? Um, I will say, if you would like to get the word out of, about this podcast, um, especially within the United States, every time we get a few reviews from the United States, we begin to chart highly in the U.S. markets. And so people who are looking for podcasts will then see that and they'll start to listen. So if you if you do enjoy this, you think that the the information is good and people need to hear about it, give a review. Um, make sure it's five stars, just like they tell oh you at the dealership. You can only do five stars. Otherwise, don't do it. I'm just kidding. Yeah, be honest. <laughs> Every be time honest. we get a car and they're like, tell us how we did, but if it's not five, five stars, don't we do don't wanna it. We don't want to know. Don't want to hear about it. And we're like, that's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. Because you don't um, hear constructive criticism. Seriously, we, we do appreciate And I read those out to Tiana. Um, and so the, you're a part of our conversations if you put that on there. Thank you very much for all of that. Yeah, we appreciate every last single one of you. And I'm guessing Absolutely. That, that's all you have to add? Yeah, I don't have anything no? else. And okay. you said you don't. No. Of course not. Anyway, okay. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this humble little geopolitical podcast. We hope you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there. <laughs>